0: You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy C. Jones. Welcome to Tremendous Leadership, Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to leaders from all ages and stages about what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And today, I am honored and blessed to introduce to you Dr. Don Mark Hamilton. And Dr. Hamilton, or Don, is the blessed father of four beautiful daughters. He's soon to be three sons-in-law. Wow, that's a lot of marriages coming up. And seven (laughs) awesome grandchildren. Don was married to Gail Hamilton for 38 years until her passing in 2018 of pancreatic cancer. Don pastored the large and vibrant Christian church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, for 38 years until his retirement last year in 2020. Don is now a blogger, an author, and public speaker rooted in the charge of To Live Inspired. Don's articles and resources can be found on DonMarkHamilton.com, and he's presently working on three books published in the coming year. Don, it is tremendous to have you on the show today.
1: Oh, thanks very much, Tracy. I'm honored to be here. really am.
0: You're welcome. And for those listeners, those of you that know Tremendous Leadership, Kristen is Don's daughter. So I have the joy of getting to work with Kristen. So I get kind of the second generation tremendousness. And then Don, <laughs> you knew my father, correct?
1: Yeah, I knew your dad very well. He was one of my mentors. And I think I met him in a conference somewhere initially. And then I had a good buddy who was an executive in one of the local company. And he said, I got to take you over to Charlie's place. And to meet him, and I did. And that kind of started, he gave me that old big trademark hug of his, and that started a friendship. He taught me a lot about leadership, it. and more importantly, a lot about life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Don, thank you so much for sharing that. And the reason we're here today is talking about one of his most famous speeches, and that's the price of leadership. And Don, right. you knew my father, a lot of our listeners did. He was very motivated, but he was also incredibly pragmatic. And he was very much like, yep, leadership is going to be joyful, but you're going to have to pay a price and it's going to be tough, but it's worth it. And so that's where we're going to really unpack in the price of leadership, the four points he talked about. And Don, the first one, my father talked about that if you're really going to be a leader and not just a leader in name only, you're Mm -hmm. going to encounter times of loneliness. Could you unpack that for us? I mean, You've spent decades running a church, you've dealt with loneliness in your life. What would you say to our leadership listeners out there, perhaps if they're in a season of loneliness, and what it means for you?
1: For me, yeah. There's a lot of times where, especially if you're the sole leader of an organization, but in any level of leadership, I think you realize that the buck really does stop there. And because of that, it leaves you feeling alone sometimes, sometimes even a little abandoned in certain circumstances. but. For me, it was always a matter of having mentors like Charlie, people that I could unload that stuff on, people who had already been there, done that, walked that path, and that I could basically go whine to. <laughs> and I, I, I've done, I'm really good at whining. <laughs> and when you feel lonely, you usually feel whiny because we're in a corner and eat a worm. And so I did that. And for me, I'm a person of faith and My relationship with God, I knew he was always there. Sometimes he felt distant in those situations. And yet, as you read through the record that he gave us and the scriptures all the way down through history, I think another thing that was so encouraging to me was to see that he's so honest about the leaders in the Bible. And I cannot imagine, I would think to myself, man, that Moses must have felt terribly lonely. Like, Working with this bunch of stiff-necked um, pickers <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> Seriously. And he did
1: it a lot better than I could ever do it. Joshua, his final charge, dude, you're going to have to be strong and courageous. And he tells him that three or four times because he knew there was going to be some lonely moments. So I think also for me, I was blessed in that somebody at one point really, really challenged me to learn about solitude. And I've learned solitude and journaling and journaling my prayers. And after i have done that so long, it finally, it's like going to a well that you're thirsty and you go to that well on a regular basis and you're comfortable with yourself. You're comfortable with your God you're comfortable with where you are. And if you're in the middle of one of those lonely times, and it's because some bad things are happened, this too shall pass. And it does. So yeah, I think that's kind of some of the ways that I've always worked through my times of loneliness. The other thing is I developed really deep friendships through the years. And I'm not sure what motivated me to do that. But I have deep friendships of a group of leaders, fellow leaders, that we kind of grew up together. We're all across the country and across the world, and we get together and we chat when one of us is down, the other three or four of us pull them up, and Mm. we meet together on some regularity down through the years, and I think that was really, really helpful because I know some leaders, I think, tend to isolate themselves, and to me, that's a prescription for disaster, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because there's just too many things that you cannot handle by yourself.
0: I love that. And I love that you hit on a nuance that leaders, yeah, can feel lonely. But you touched on that, that sometimes they feel even abandoned. And we're going to talk about abandonment as the third point, but in a slightly different thing. I think that's really very transparent of you because that's where, as you said, we have to watch that bitterness. You will be abandoned as a leader. I'm sorry. Jesus was. Mm -hmm. Even Jesus had his Judas. So I tell people. I don't care how great you think you are, there's somebody out there that in your camp that's not all in and it's going to leave you feeling abandoned and it's okay. It's kind of par for the course, but I love that you talked about having a group of people and everybody knows I'm like, I just started watching The Chosen recently because thanks to your connection. And every day, every episode, Jesus says, well, I'm off on my own. Where are you going? I just need to be alone. You know what? It's just, it reminds me, we do need to go and just be in solitude. So there's a beautiful loneliness, and then there's the other part of it Mm -hmm. that you're going to feel too.
1: Yeah, I think it's very helpful to have a larger picture in mind and to never lose the larger picture of life in general. And as a leader, you're going to get, to me, too undeserved. You're going to get undeserved glory that something has gone well and you may have initiated it, you may have put some of it together, but you know very well you are not responsible for what happened, but you get the glory because you're at the person at the top. The second undeserved to me is you get undeserved criticism. That no matter what way you choose, I mean the old saying, damned if you do and damned if you don't, yep. is true. But if you've got a bigger picture of the whole thing, the undeserved glory doesn't go to your head, and the undeserved criticism doesn't go to your head. I love it. So kind of pulls you through that lonely feeling of being there.
0: I love it. And that's so important, Don, the point you made. So when we're not yanked around by our feelings, but just know, like you Mm -hmm. said, knowledge of this too shall pass, knowledge that there's a bigger picture, knowledge is we're never walking through this alone, knowledge that a valley has a bottom, and then you start uphill again. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that because that's going to help our listeners just really go, okay, this is the season and it's okay. And it keeps you from maybe doing something walking off a job, firing off an email, falling on your yeah. sword that we all exactly. like to do when we're suffering. And so exactly. like, thank you for that. Been there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always did like that saying, they don't grow crops on mountaintops. They grow them in the valleys. <laughs> I
0: love that. i never heard that. That's really you know good. It? Yes.
1: That's beautiful. Well, and I there thought I heard go.
0: everything. So I'm getting a lot there out of it. There you <laughs> go. Okay, Don, well, thank you for sharing the feeling of loneliness. And you gave our listeners some really applicable tools and resources sure. to go ahead and be prepared for that. Don't get caught unaware. Whenever I catch a leader saying, oh, I feel so alone. It's like, no kidding, but you got to prepare for that. So the next thing my father talked about was weariness. And right. a lot of times, like you said, undeserving criticism or people that I always think of the parable of the olive tree that you grow something and there's a lot of good that lands in there and there's a lot of bad that lands in there. So how do you stay at the top of your game when a lot of people are depending on you your vision your touch your prayers your everything
1: yeah i would kind of go back to that solitude or quiet i think you developing a good rhythm yeah. when times are very demanding you're on big projects especially projects that are lengthy i remember we built a very large playground our church had 53-acre campus. It's a community park, and we build a large special needs playground. And we were doing it in 2008 during the recession, trying to raise $800,000. And everybody said you couldn't do that, and the Lord kind of came through, and we built that. But we ended up, I remember, it took us a year to get the whole thing going. And then we built it. It was a community build in seven days. And at the end of it, though, you're left with a special needs playground has to have a poured rubber floor. Very, very expensive. Well, we didn't have the money for that. So we had this playground sitting out there that nobody could use, which is like the worst possible thing for a leader. (laughs) I got this far and I can't close the loop. And we were tired by then. We'd already been working on it for over a year and we had a long ways to go. And so. We just kept, again, I had a group of four or five people. Some were leaders in my church. Some were staff members that we would just kind of play off of each other. I'm over and uh, Lori Cartmill was one person that really kind of led through that. And so one day I'd be over there whining to her in her office and I am so tired. I am sick of this and I'm done. She, Oh, no, we're not. And then right. Three days later, she'd be in my office doing the same thing. And we kept at it and kept at it. And right before Christmas, at the end of that year, we got a gift of $120,000 that was totally unexpected that put us over the hump. And so as soon as spring got there, we could pour the floor and things could go forward. But a two-year process on a large project like that was just tiring. It just wears you out. Mm. I think also on the subject of weariness, something I've really learned from Nehemiah, and that is there was a time when Nehemiah was rebuilding those walls. He was perceptive enough to know that you're going to face opposition and it's going to wear not only you out, but it's going to wear out the people who are actually doing the labor. And you got a plan for that. And you got a plan that In any project, it seems to me that if it lasts very long at all, you're going to have the initial excitement. Everybody's going to be on board. They're ready to rock and roll. And people came out, 1400 of them worked for that week, and then they went back home and sat down. But you're not done. You've got this long project, or you have the opposition during that, and then you come all the way to the very end of it. And so, What does charge you up? What helps you to get through this weariness? I always had an illustration that I used. I think I saw it somewhere back through the years of the three buckets. As a leader, you've got things that fill your bucket. You've got things that empty your bucket. And your bucket's going to be leaky no matter what. But you got to keep your bucket full enough because you're pouring into other people's lives constantly. And so... Sometimes in the midst of just constantly doing things and working at things, I think you get to a point where you don't realize your bucket is getting more and more empty, and at some point it can become dangerously empty, and you've not given attention, or sometimes people don't even know what does fill your bucket, because you're going to need that, what that is in those times, I think. And that's what gets you through the weariness of it. And I think another thing that, especially in the business world, but even in the church world, there's a biblical concept of Sabbath. And I think as leaders, and I did this for years, you just feel like you can go 24-7, 365. And you can't. It gets empty, you get worn out, or you finally come up against a project that You don't have the resources to do this, the personal resources. And you just get tired and weary. And I think, again, a rhythm on a weekly basis, even a daily basis, and then a weekly and then yearly, whatever, where you've got to have the self-discipline, I think, develop that to pull away and to say, I need one day this month where I'm not doing anything. You hiking or whatever it is. And then longer periods of time as you're out of place. I don't think the human body and certainly the human mind, God did not design us to go 24-7, 365. He made a really serious point that you take a day of rest, and I mean business about it. He (laughs) he does mean (laughs) business. Yeah,
0: that's Shabbat. That's serious business. And you look at what's going on in the world, and you're like, uh, yeah, you can see the effects of this. Yes. running even if you're not a believer just we're not coded for this we're not meant yeah. to do this so yeah excellent
1: you know, i think it's easy as a leader to get an inflated view of your worth right the last four years of my ministry were the hardest of the entire 38 years but by that time you think well i'm going to slide those last few years and it just didn't turn out that way our church was growing tremendously We went through a name change. We went through structural changes. And then people in my elder board, there were nine of us. Seven of us had serious cancer illnesses in the family. One of our elders died suddenly in a car crash. And then, of course, my wife got pancreatic cancer. That was a 22-month ordeal. The guy who's now my son-in-law was my campus pastor at the time. And His wife at the time was 34 years old, young woman. He went downstairs one day and came back up and she was gone. She had died. And it just kind of went on and on and on. And at the same time, I was trying to do a capital campaign. We were designing a new building. It was just a lot. And by the time I got to the end of it, I realized, man, you are worn out a lot more than what you ever thought you were. And you need to figure out number one, at my particular juncture, I was to at a time, you need a new season. Mm. It's time for you to turn a chapter. And that was hard to do, but God, if I think over a period of months, said, dude, I'm taking you somewhere else. Now I want you to prepare your organization as best you know how, and I'll help you for the future. And so we did a two-year succession plan and That turned out well, but I didn't realize people around me, I think, realized, but I didn't realize I was utterly worn out.
0: Right. We never see it. We think, oh, we're keeping it together. And then when the trauma has passed, people are like, I've had people say that to me. I'm glad that's over because you became something different. I'm like, what? And it has to. I also appreciate you sharing with leaders that there is this thing that we think, oh, I'm going to get it all dialed in. like. Mm a finely tuned fighter jet. God can call you. I love that your ending is, it was the hardest part of the race. Cause you think once you got things cooking and the team's there and you could just sit on the beach and drink Mai Tais all day long, non-alcoholic Mai Tais. (laughs) And that's not possibly God's calling. And I love that you brought that up at the end because sometimes finishing the race, you may even think, am I going to even make it across it? And it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It just, it is what it is. It's how God orchestrates it all.
1: And I think back to that original point of, again, it's easy to get an inflated view of your importance to the organization. And somewhere along the line, somebody said, Don, you know, they will have forgotten your name in six weeks. It's just the nature of it. And I had a guy who's a leadership, very close friend of mine, who's a leadership trainer and fortune 500 companies and concerning even my successor, he says, they always say, Oh, they'll want your advice. And he says, they don't want your advice. They could care less what you got to say. And it kind of turned out that way. And it's not bad. It's just the nature of things. The organization will go on without you and do quite well. (laughs) And when you get that in your mind, it's much easier, I think, to move on.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because a lot of other people that we've interviewed has said it was shocking because when they're done, they're done. And it's like, yeah, it's time people have to continue to move on and you've made your mark. You'll stay in touch with a couple of people, but that's just the nature of of what it Yeah, too concerned about In other words, don't keep drawing it out. You always want to leave strong and not, you really should have checked out a couple of years ago, you know, kind of thing. Now,
1: and I think when you've been in an organization a long, long time, I think that's harder to realize yes. than if you're in a short-term situation, but you're just so used to it. It's, it's your life. It's yeah, part of your life. It is. Uh, when you In my situation, as a, quote, pastor of a church, well, that becomes your identity, whether you consciously do that or not. And you kind of, I think, subconsciously assume that well, this is always going to be my day. And fact is, no, I'm not a pastor now, at least in the same way, very different way. I'm enjoying
0: it. it. it, Excellent. Okay. So we did loneliness, weariness. The next thing my dad talked about was abandonment and you had hit on that. His point of abandonment was that we need to stop thinking about what we like and want to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. So it was very Uh much focus. And that, you've said the discipline word many times throughout this, but how do you stay abandoned because you've got your flock, you've got a million things, even now, three books, blogs, this, that, how do you stay (laughs) abandoned every moment to what you need to focus on?
1: I would go back to, I know I keep coming back to this, but for me, at least, I think people that do that well, slowly over time, usually develop a rhythm that is productive, yeah, and it helps you to say, no, I'm not going to spend four hours in front of the TV tonight. I'm going to spend an hour and a half, but the other ones, I'm going to go work out or whatever it is. I'm going to read. I'm going to write. I'm going to spend time with my family. The things that should be up high on the priority list, I think you can get this entitlement mentality even that I've worked 10 hours today and I deserve to sit in front of the TV with a very large bowl of popcorn. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. And
1: what you end up doing is developing that as a pattern, like Pavlov's dog. And that pattern really is kind of counterproductive. Same thing for me in the morning. I like to get the morning started right. One of my favorite books is of recent years is Make Your Bed. Is the guy who's an admiral? I can't yeah, remember.
0: Admiral, yeah, great
1: little book. But he makes the point in the military that first thing you do is make your bed, and it equates to a wind, and then it equates to a pattern that you're developing on a daily basis that brings out your best self and your best abilities. And so that's the first thing I do when I got out of bed. I make my bed, and I've got my little routine and all that, and then. I've got a chair in my living room that I've sat in for years and years. I'm on the second one wearing it out and I'm going to read, I'm going to write, I'm going to journal. And I think leadership a lot is about what you say no to. Those two little letters are so powerful and everybody's got to learn. If you're a leader, especially what are you going to say no to? Yeah. Because there's always a bazillion things to occupy your time and, Probably even more than your time, your mental energy, mm-hmm. uh, because leadership's so much about mental and even emotional energy, I think. Right. So. And
0: the rhythm you talked about, you don't write the whole opus. It's one beat at a time. And I love the mm-hmm. fact when you talked about making your bed, it equates to a win. Mm-hmm. And that's what my dad would say with abandonment is, Tracy, when you get down to like billable hours at the end of the day, how many mm-hmm. things did you do to contribute to your success? How many things did you do to contribute to your failure? And when you really look at it and then you can look at it and go, oh, this is why it's not happening for me. Yeah, just yeah. Incrementally, I'm not saying you got to throw all the TVs out of the house like he did when we were growing up. If you got to do it, you got to do it. <laughs> but I mean, discipline and that rhythm, just even if it's for an hour a day that you did before and then incrementally, that is how the note, you get a lot more clarity and then you can deflect them a lot easier because you're mm-hmm. so dialed in.
1: Yeah. There's a couple books. On the power of habits, the most recent one is Atomic Habits, and then a guy named Duhigg wrote one years ago called Power of Habit, and the whole point is very minimal changes make a big difference, and what those changes are that you choose to make also are so important because some changes have a domino effect. Right. So. This good thing that I'm developing is going to have a domino effect in my leadership and my life, whereas I might make another choice that might even be a good choice, but it's not one that's necessarily going to have a domino effect on other areas of my life. But either way, the point is very, very small changes. Incremental changes make such a huge difference, and that is about abandoning. Some stuff that maybe I want to do or I'm impulsive. I'm kind of an impulsive guy, you know. Like I go to the store, I see something. Ooh, I think I need that, you know. <laughs> and you have to learn to dis no, I don't really think you do need that, Hamilton. So, but you can kind of live that way impulsively, and it just doesn't add up to strong leadership, I don't think.
0: Brilliant. And I love the domino effect point. You're right. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that one little thing. When you're playing pool, just that yeah. little thing that may make it over. All right. Okay. So loneliness, weariness, abandonment. Lastly, vision. And my father would say that vision is not some esoteric mythical thing that just the greats, the Zuckerbergs and the Oprah Winfrey or the really brilliant people see. But vision is really just seeing what needs to be done. Number one, yeah. and doing it and executing it. Because if you don't execute it, it's just this thing, the thing floating around. So how do you get vision clarity? You just went through this big transition where you got the calling, the pivot point. Can you tell me, unpack for our leaders, what they should be looking for? Maybe if there's vision blockers or how you're honing this next stage of your life?
1: Well, for me, that's probably my strongest, what people always told me, your strongest thing is you're a visionary and you are secondly, able to inspire people towards that vision. You're very good at that. And then you're a strategic planner. Mm. And I think the planning thing really has a lot to do with, again, you're taking your history that you develop based on this abandonment and the other points of leadership, and you're developing a process whereby you can visualize and see. I think vision is what I call a picture of a preferred future. So you've developed the knack and the ability to learn how to pursue something when you do see it. To me, it's like when you went to high school and college, everybody always complains that there's all these classes that I don't need to learn that. Why would I want to learn about psychology or I'm going to be an accountant? And well, I think all of us complained about that stuff. But I think the bigger principle of education is you got to teach yourself how to be educated because the ultimate goal is for you to educate yourself. It's just like in Christianity to me, if if you've been a Christian for 15 years and you still got to be spoon fed by a pastor or a church, something ain't right. Adult people feed themselves and they do that because they have learned how to do that. And the best discipline in life is learning. Okay. Solomon says, well, where do you get wisdom? Well, you learn to fear God, Mm -hmm. and you'll get it. You'll see it coming into your life. Where do you get understanding? That sort of thing. I think the idea of vision often is, I've been writing a little bit about this, and I think leaders do tend to see, sometimes that other people don't see, or they see the same things that another person sees. But the distinguishing characteristic is exactly what you're saying. They want to do something about it. I have a good friend that ran an upward basketball program for years. Great, great program. Uh, About about 220 people in our kids in our church and from the community played. And he would always go to the parents. I know if you've had kids in sports, parents are notorious for being jerks. (laughs) And well, you ought to be doing this, you ought to be doing that, and so on. And he would get them all together at the beginning of the year. He would have his speech. He'd say, I'm going to do things that are not the best here. I'm sure I will do things that could be done better and so forth. And you're probably going to see some of those things. And he says, I'm glad for you to come to me with, hey, we ought to be doing this this way. But then he would always tell him the second step. You come to me with the thing that you see wrong and with a solution and with the willingness to be part of the solution. And if you don't, don't come to me. So I think that often is the difference, that you've got to develop an aptitude towards I'm a doer rather than just a listener of whatever it is I'm pursuing. For me, it's like writing, it's a very different discipline than leading a large organization and preaching and so forth. There's just so many different aspects to that, whereas writing is very, very focused. And I tended to like to do everything. If you're a leader like me, I had trouble saying no, because I liked everything about church. I loved everything about leadership. I love public speaking. And I like cleaning the church. I would clean the church and you get to a point where Don, you don't need to be spending two or three hours cleaning the church at this particular stage and so forth. But with now becoming a writer, which I have this vision of I want to write. And my nephew, who's written a couple of very successful books, he says, I'll tell you one thing, Uncle Don, he said, writers got to write. And a lot of writers are supposedly writers, but they're just talking about it. And I've read a number of books since I've tried to pursue this. I've talked to you some. And well, it all comes down to this. You sit your rear end down in that chair and you start writing and you do it every day. And you'll slowly but surely become a writer. And I think any kind of vision is like that. It ends up being, just really need to do something about this. (laughs) Right.
0: Well, I love that you brought on the obvious and the not obvious, because my focus is really followership. And I think where leaders can avoid burnout is bringing the followers that can see the obvious. You don't need to tell them, this is not mother, may I? Just Mm -hmm. do it. I mean, in the military You just did it if you see something wrong. And so I think that's really good for leaders. You need to focus on seeing the vision that is not obvious because you're going to get the call. um, Not because you're smarter than everybody, but for whatever reason, God chose to give it to you. You know what Mm. I'm saying? It's just like the chosen when Peter's like, why'd you pick me? Andrew, why do you think he picked you? I don't know. He just did. It's the mystery. So leaders have really dial into people and that'll help you with the other things too, the weariness and the loneliness, because You want followers that don't have to sit there and wait for permission to do what needs to be done. And I tell them 80% of business is intuitively obvious to the most casual observer. And you can say, well, that's not really vision. Well, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Vision, discipline, seeing what needs to be done and doing it. It's that residual momentum that keeps Mm -hmm. the day-to-day tactical stuff going. Now the strategy, that's more of a creative aspect, but I really like that you separated the two. And so you want people that aren't like going back to Moses, aren't always coming to you saying, you really think this is going to work? I don't think this is going to work. It's like, oh, my Lord. Yeah. If you're not in with the vision, yeah, exactly. go to another tribe kind of thing. Yeah,
1: I think some of that, even back to the point of abandonment, the other things I would say on a much deeper and a bigger scale would have been, you must abandon your pride if you really want to be a good leader.
0: Yeah,
1: Humility to me is the linchpin of leadership. You have to abandon your insecurity because if you don't, you won't be able to get the vision through because an insecure leader will not allow people to make decisions on their own. Right. An insecure leader won't delegate. They're just afraid that they're not going to get their due. And it just doesn't work that way. To me, you get the big picture and you figure out, most of us are good at maybe one, two, three things. That's it. (laughs) you are probably really good at about one thing and you need to figure out what's your one thing and then do it. But there are very few projects that involve just one thing.
0: Right. We're not meant to be doing this alone. Right.
1: Yeah. So you better find people around you and the better you can find and let them run with it. To me, it's, I go back to Nehemiah. Well, Nehemiah was not going to build a wall around Jerusalem, and not even remotely by himself. It was ludicrous. He was going to have to enlist the entire community to get this thing done, especially the leadership in the community. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, he had to be a humble guy that says, okay, John Doe here, he comes out of his house every day, and there's the sheep gate. The sheep gate is burnt. You can't even walk through the crazy thing. It's all torn apart. That guy's got to stare at that gate every day. And then a leader comes along and says, you know what? You really don't have to stare at that gate being broken down. I'll bet you could fix it. I can't fix it. I've been working in a king's court my whole life. I don't know nothing about fixing doors, but you do and your neighbors do. So I'll get you the resources. To me, that's another thing that sometimes leaders don't recognize. You can even get good people around you. But number one, if you won't let them do their job, then number two, if you don't resource them properly, right.
0: the means, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, means yeah. Efficacy. You'll up, yeah, you'll end up losing your it's best It's
0: frustrating, leader. right?
1: Yeah. So the people didn't have the wherewithal to build that. They didn't have the wood. They didn't have the hinges and so forth. But Nehemiah knew where he could get that. And he brought it with him. He said, here you got it. Here it is. And then, yeah, they'll do it they'll do the work. But to me, it's not just a vision of a wall that's completed. It's okay. What kind of resources do these people need that they cannot provide for themselves? And a leader has access usually, or knows how to go about getting resources that many times followers, that's not their role. But once you provide those resources, then they're going to be able to pursue that vision. Mm. I think the leader just has to paint that vision over and over and over and over. You got to paint it 15 different ways in different times and so forth. Because when you're the one hammering the nails, you kind of forget, why am I doing this again? Why are you doing this for your kids? He said, you're doing this for Jerusalem. This is your city. Right. And I'm sure you've heard this, a pretty famous old illustration. I've been reading a book about great cathedrals of Europe. And there's a story of a guy that comes up and he sees these three different masons working on this cathedral. And of course, masons, that was a generational thing because cathedrals usually took hundreds of years to build. He walks up the first guy, he says, so what are you doing? Well, I'm laying bricks. And he was pretty blunt about it. And, oh, Okay. He walks up to the next guy. He says, so what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm building a big, beautiful wall here. Oh, that's good. Okay. Walks up to the third guy finally says, what are you doing? He says, I am building a structure to the almighty God of the universe. That third guy somewhere, he got a different vision than what that first guy was. Right. To me, the responsibility of the leader is get all of them to be the third guy. (laughs) No, we're not just putting bricks on bricks here. We're not just building a wall here. We're building something great. And that can be just a program. It can be a project, or it can be the overarching theme of whatever organization it is, I think. I I think it's hard for people to stay fired up if they lose vision, lose track of what is my part in the play and how does it contribute to the whole? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a harder thing to do. And I think a leader needs to address that on a frequent basis because right. when you're just sitting there in the computer filling out forms, it's pretty easy to lose sight of sure. well, what are these forms? Well, it's for somebody's health care. This is right. important, that sort of thing. So somebody's got to remind everybody of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> falls with The leadership.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, Don, I love it. And I love that. I've heard that cathedral story before. That's just so profound. And then yeah. how everybody, the same thing, everybody shows up at the same job, but some people go and think it's the worst thing in the world. And other people are like, this is just the most yeah. brilliant.
1: Yeah. 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 Same
0: thing. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So we have covered quite a lot and you have really shared with our listeners a ton of great resources, a ton of great real-world stories, and your wisdom, Don. Anything else that you would like to share with our listeners about leadership? How about some of these books that you're working on? Would you like to share a little bit about that?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. I've mentioned Nehemiah several times because that's where my world is right now. Beautiful. You and I have had the chance to talk about this. Many years ago, I found an interest, I don't know if it was a class or something, in Nehemiah. And I think it's one of the greatest leadership books that's ever been written but you have to perceive that. And then you have to look at it from a leader's bird's eye view. So I'm writing really a shorter book on Nehemiah and then a longer one. And it's based really on this study I did years ago that I called it the six keys of success that you examine, you evaluate, you envision, you encourage, you equip, and you enjoy. And this is going to play out a little bit differently than that so i'm writing a short one and then i'm writing a longer book which is turning into basically going to be a 40-day devotional
0: oh beautiful leadership
1: devotional 40 lessons from nehemiah so yeah i'm working on that and then i'm working on another book at this point i don't know what title be but just go on anyway to me another thing about leadership is I had this saying throughout my life that really served me well because there are those times where you're weary. There are those times where you've done it and you failed. You just did. Or, and sometimes it was your own fault. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was circumstances beyond your control. A lot of people failed in business the last two or three years and there wasn't anything they could do about it. Right? Nobody's buying. I just think there's a number of times in your life, your wife gets sick and passes, you got to look yourself in the mirror every once in a while and say, you know what? I think I'm just going to go on anyway. And it's not a stoic thing. It's not a uh, just kind of laissez-faire thing. It's I am going to go on anyway. And so I'm writing a book called Just Go On Anyway, and it covers a number of like just go on anyway when your business just went under Just go on anyway when the divorce papers were just signed. Just go on anyway when you just got outsourced. Mm -hmm. There's just a myriad of subjects we all go through. And so I'm picking out 40 or 50 of those. And I could really, I'm really thinking of doing a series of books on just kind of just go on anyway. I've been working on that as well. And then I do my weekly blog which is usually around a thousand words or so, six, seven minute read. So, so yeah, I'm enjoying it.
0: Well, Don, where can people find you? Where can they read this tremendous blog of yours and how can they connect with you? Because I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you.
1: Sure. DonmarkHamilton.com is my website. There's some other information that I'll continue to place on there. Some other resources. As a matter of fact, there is that article I titled it, Why Your Life Sucks and What You Can Do About It. (laughs) It's really a study of the book of Nehemiah, (laughs) but you can download that for free. And then you'll see the blog button there. You can click on the blog and then you can subscribe to that and you'll get a weekly email with that and once in a while, some other things. So yeah. And then of course, I'll keep everybody up through that where I'm at with the books or other projects. I'm doing some speaking. I've done some Development for some nonprofit groups, their leadership teams. I'll do that and I'm available to do those things. I just did one for United Cerebral Palsy and a group down in Baltimore as well. So I'm doing that. I enjoy doing that. And you can get a hold of me at donmarkhamilton at gmail.com. Or if you approach me on the website, you can put contact and it'll be a different email address from my website. So either one of those is fine.
0: I love it. Well, Don. Thank you so much. Thank you for just pouring out your wisdom on us. And for our listeners out there, please make sure and reach out to Don. He's a tremendous resource. He's seen a thing or two, as you have heard. And he really is a very seasoned, connected, grounded leader. And that's who we need to surround ourselves with. So take advantage of this. So Don, thank you again for being a part of this. Just enjoy your
1: work. You're more than welcome. Thank you, Tracy. I'm honored to get to chat with you.
0: You are so welcome. And for our listeners out there, if you liked what you heard on the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, please be sure and subscribe. Give us a like. The joy, the blessing of a five-star rating would be so appreciated. And wherever you listen to this podcast, we're everywhere across all the different platforms. Leave us a comment. We answer all the different ones that we get from people and we'd love to know you're listening and what thoughts you were inspired on your leadership journey. So to all our Tremendous Leaders out there, you keep on paying the price of leadership. We're so thankful for you. Be sure and go over to tremendousleadership.com. Sign up for your two weeks of free eBooks to get you on your tremendous journey. So keep it up, Tremendous Tribe. We love you guys. We're thankful for you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c sweetradio.com.